0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome. Nice to see everybody. Everybody doing okay? Just say yes. Yes. Okay. If you're not, we'll pray for you, maybe. Help you out. Thank you, Jesus. Um, We've been doing a study in the Gospel of Mark, chapter by chapter. How many of you have actually been reading the Gospel of Mark? Tell the truth. Three of you. Awesome. Very cool. That's progress. (laughs) Well, guess what? We're going to interrupt that for a little bit because um, I have a new book coming out, Harbinger of Hope, a startling revelation of God's provision for you. And um, it's for pre-sale right now on um, Amazon and a couple other places, but Amazon's the easiest one to get to. And if you pre-order it, you should have it by the 28th of this month. But what I thought I would do is I would I thought at least for the next three weeks and maybe um, I'm going to do a three week series and I'll probably do some more series out of this book later on. Uh, we'll continue and mark and, and anyway we're just going to mix it up a little bit. But um, I uh, I thought what we would do is not next Sunday but the next would have a book signing. Although some of you have already pre-ordered, I think I'll have three or four hundred books by then, and um if you wanted to do something, get the book signing, and your book wasn't here yet, I could sign a book and give you a book, and that's probably not going to work because you paid somebody else for it, but we'll just figure it out, and it'll be <laughs> it'll be good, okay um, I named the book Harbinger of Hope because uh, of the nature of an encounter I had. January the 21st, 2011. And how many of you know what a harbinger is? Who doesn't know what a harbinger is? Wave at me if you don't know what a harbinger is. Well, you need to get the book. I mean, that's the deal, right? 18 bucks and you're good. So, A harbinger is a person or a thing... Or an omen, some people have used that term, although it scares some people. But basically, it's a sign pointing to something coming of significance. And um, although I am not the personification of a harbinger of hope, um, I am a type of a harbinger. Robins are harbingers of springtime. You know that when you see a robin, show up in your yard because they don't stay down here all year, you know that springtime is just around the corner. And I have recognized, this probably is getting ready to sound arrogant, but I don't care really, I'm too old. Um, When people believe what I say, they can experience a spiritual springtime. Because I'm a harbinger of hope and my message is really a hope-filled Message. And, um, actually, if you believe the gospel in whatever state you're in, if you simply believe the truth of the gospel, you will encounter a whole new season of springtime. That always works. So let's, let's get into this. Um, I, um, this is actually the third book I've written. The second one I self-published, and the first one is a box under my bed that I wrote long enough ago to be thankful I didn't publish it. <laughs> do you know people do change over time? Is that right? That's some mean stuff in that book, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm glad you didn't read it. But uh, I have considered dragging it out and editing that part out because there's some really good stuff in it. Come on. I really like what I write, so I believe you will too. Okay, let me give you the background for this story. I was um, in Alexandria, Virginia, right there in the Washington D.C. area, um, scheduled to speak in a conference, and I was um, I was staying in this the Hilton Garden Hotel right there in Alexandria, and. As has happened to me some in the past, and if you've ever done a lot of public speaking, you can really get beat up before you speak. How many of you are aware of that? Sort of like last night. I was up 10 times last night, and I'm not sure why. And so I know this is significant this morning because I really don't get attacked at that level if God doesn't really want to do something and say something that can make a huge difference in somebody's life. And it's not what you hear. That changes your life. It's what you hear and believe and act on that changes your life. A lot of people have heard a lot of stuff, but what do you believe about it and how have you acted based on it? And so I really want to emphasize that this morning. And so I was in this sort of um, depressed, weary state, even after a good night's sleep. And I woke up about 5.30 in the morning. I was by myself in the hotel room. And I decided I'm going to go on the offensive. And so here's what I began to do. I began to say out loud, and I think maybe this will be up on the uh, the first slide if it will go up there on the screen. Can you see that? Not yet. There you go. This is what I began to do. I began to quote a hybrid version of Psalm 91, 1 through 4, the Macmillan translation, and my own personal do-it-from-memory version, which I would recommend everybody having those. So I began to say out loud as an aggressive posture against what I was facing spiritually, I began to say this. "'He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no evil folk can withstand.'" I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God. On him will I lean and rely, and in him will I confidently trust. Surely then he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler. How many of you know what my name is? Robin. What's a fowler? Bird catcher. Surely, come on. Moses wrote this for me 6,000 years ago. Whenever, Surely then... He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover me with his feathers and under his wings. I shall take refuge. His truth shall be my shield and buckler. Now, there are a couple of points I want to make about Psalm 91. Um, Do you see the phrase, surely then? Then. What is then pointing to? When is then? I will say of the Lord. Then there's something so significant about what you believe and what you have to say about what you believe and how it affects your life in the spiritual atmosphere. And so I was going at it, and I started to feel a little bit better. And so my philosophy is if one is good, two is better. Twice. Twice. So I did it again. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty whose power no evil foe shall withstand. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, he is my God. On him will I lean and rely, and in him shall
1: I confidently trust. For surely then he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome perilous pestilence. He shall cover me with his feathers, and under his wings, that awesome secret place of the Most High, I shall take
0: refuge. His truth shall be my shield and my buckler." And I felt real good. And then I looked up into the, the ceiling of the hotel room. And now this is a Hilton and there was a duck hanging down that wasn't there prior to my proclamation of Psalm 91. Now you may think that's weird. I thought it was weird, but when I saw it, I instinctively, I instinctively knew if I can jump into that duct, I will shoot right up through The atmosphere and land in the heavens in some awesome place. And so I did. How do you do that? I have no idea. Now, here's the interesting thing about spiritual encounters. Spiritual encounters, you can actually be two places at the same time. What do you mean? Well, you can be in a vision, and in the vision, you're one place. But in reality, you're right where you always were. Paul used to say, whether in the body or out, I don't know. It's just the way it works. And then you know things. So I shoot through the heavens, and as I'm going through the atmosphere at a huge rate of speed, how, I have no idea, I began to hear demons say, Hey, stop. You can't come through here. Now, remember, the devil's called the prince of the power of the air. So there's this idea, there's this reality that demons have some place they are, and it's in the air, it's in the atmosphere somehow. Well, I didn't stop. I laughed because I knew there was nothing they could do to stop me. Then I landed, and I thought, wow, this is going to be like this brilliantly bright heavenly place. But when I landed, I landed in sort of a shadowy place, and I was under a large brown wing. I can't, I don't, it could have been 15 feet tall, it could have been 20 feet tall, and I thought, this isn't right. That must be an angel's wing, and angels are white. That's what the pictures show. Well, then I realized what had I just been proclaiming in my warfare exercise. He shall cover me with his feathers and under his wings I shall trust. And this is a description of the great eagle. And so suddenly I realized, wow, I'm under the wing of the great eagle. And when I look at that wing... The underside, I was under that wing, I saw not applied to the wing but coming out from the wing grapefruit or softball-sized precious stones and big chunks of precious and semi-precious metal. I don't know if it's semi-precious. I don't know what it was. I just knew it was precious. Coming out, which is very weird, which has nothing to do with the rest of what I'm going to tell you. I'm just telling you what I saw. Then the Lord revealed to me five wagons filled with the blessing of heaven. And the point he was making was that that which is in these wagons is available and you should proclaim them. You should proclaim, you should proclaim what you see in those wagons. Now I'm going to explain a little bit more about the wagons. Uh, later on, but they were ancient wagons. What I'll tell you now, they were ancient wagons. And what do you pull a wagon with? You need to think through the tongue. And it had these ancient spoked wheels. So the wagon had spoken wheels and it was pulled by the tongue. And so part of the revelation on why he showed me these wagons was that you access what's in them by faith and proclamation. That's very important. So, what were the wagons? Anybody interested? In closing. <laughs> Not with you. Oh, this is this is so rich. The first one was a wagon is that up on the on the screen there? The wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences. Let me say that again. A wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences. Here's the idea. You're in a mess. You got yourself in that mess. You deserve to be in that mess. What does God want to do for you? He wants to deliver you from what you deserve. That's that's so wonderful. And really, that's the essence of the gospel. That's why it's good news. The bad news is you're in a mess. The good news is God has a solution. He has a way out. The second was a wagon of deliverance from criticism and the critical spirit. We'll see a little bit more about that in a minute. The third wagon was a wagon of unlimited provision. The fourth wagon was a wagon of hope, and the fifth wagon was a wagon of new vision for the United States. And actually, when I was reading my Bible yesterday, I actually made a note about a sixth wagon, but I don't know if that was wishful thinking or if the Lord was actually showing me that, because these, uh, how many of you know these visions aren't the Bible? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not writing the Bible here. I'm just telling you what happened as an encouragement. But what I believe the Lord wants to do through these wagons, through what's in those wagons, is change you, change me, change us, change our city, change our region, change our nation. Now, I believe it has that potential to do just that. That's a pretty bulk bulk, I don't say I have that potential to do that, but I know the gospel does when it's, when it's seen in a fresh new way. Um, one of the verses I thought about was Ephesians one three. The Bible says that we have already been blessed with what? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But here's what I knew. Here's what I experienced after that encounter. I was free from that oppression. God had absolutely delivered me from whatever that was that was trying to shut me down and bottle me up. Now, this is a pretty strange vision. How many of you would agree? This is a little bit, a little bit, a little bit strange. But the Lord began to reveal to me that I would understand the deeper significance of this encounter in the story of Joseph's restoration to his brothers and his father Jacob. And so I need, to, I need to tell you a little bit about that story to give you some background so this will make a little bit more sense. If you remember, Joseph was the favorite of his father. He was one of eventually a family of 12 brothers, and he was his father's favorite at that point. He was the son of his father's old age, although he had one more son after that named Benjamin. But Joseph at that point was the favorite of his father who had given him a special coat. How many of you are familiar with that? the coat of many colors? Well, that was a badge. Actually, I read this too. It's interesting when you just reread the scripture. It said Jacob made that coat. That's different than procuring one and giving it to someone, he was showing how special Joseph was to him. Now, that caused problems in the family, and Joseph brought some of the problems on himself. He was a dreamer. Joseph was a prophetic character, and he had two different dreams, both of which he told his brothers and his fathers, which by interpretation revealed that one day his entire family was going to serve him. Well, that was a little bit hard to take from a 17-year-old kid. Worse than that, Jacob would get Joseph to go snoop on his brothers and come back and tell on them. Now, the problem was Joseph's brothers began to hate him. And so as the story progresses... Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers who were tending their flocks. And when their brothers saw Joseph come, they they conspired to kill him. But instead, they threw him in a ditch, a waterless ditch. It was probably an empty well. And instead of killing him, they sold him to some traveling Ishmaelite merchants who then sold him to a man named Potiphar who was captured of Pharaoh's guards, probably chief executioner what he was. And once he was in Potiphar's house in Egypt, God began to favor Joseph. And eventually, Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household. So here's the story so far. Joseph is a 17-year-old, spiritually gifted young man who probably can't keep his excitement about himself to himself, And he tells his brothers things about what God has for his life. And his brothers are jealous. Actually, it says they envied him. And uh, then he was a tattletale. So how many of you know tattletales are least appreciated members in the family usually? And so this went on for a good while. Eventually, Jacob sends Joseph out to see what his brothers are doing. And when they see him, they decide they're going to kill him. That's a rough family. Hey, listen. These are our spiritual forefathers, ladies and gentlemen. These are the patriarchs of the church. Now, that should do two things. That should absolutely should do three things. It should scare you, it should confuse you, and it should make you very happy. That if God could pick people like that, you have a pretty good shot at a really good time in God. Those are the three things you should feel about that, nevertheless. God began to favor Joseph in Potiphar's house. But there was a problem. Potiphar's wife started hitting on Joseph, made sexual advances, and Joseph refused to yield to those advances, and so Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. And so Potiphar puts Joseph in prison. So here he is. He's been rejected by his brother's He's been thrown in a ditch. He's been sold to traitors. Traitors sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar brings him into his house. Things start looking up, and then he runs into Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife lies about him. Potiphar, who could have executed him, instead puts him in um, the prison that the king's prisons prisoners are put in. And when Joseph was there, over time, he began to advance and be promoted even in the prison to the degree that the head of the prison made Joseph senior administrator over all the prisoners, which is pretty incredible. And so here's what you find out with Joseph. Every time he gets in a mess, God helps him and God gives him favor, and everything starts turning around. So Joseph meets two of the prisoners. One's a baker, one's a butler, and those are the baker and the butler for Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And uh, they have both come under some form of discipline, and so Pharaoh put them in prison. Well, they both have dreams. Well, Joseph finds out they've had dreams, and so Joseph says, well, I can interpret your dreams. And so he in- interprets the butler's dream and he interprets the baker's dream, and within three days, both dreams come to pass exactly as Joseph had interpreted them, which was um, good for the butler, bad for the baker, The butler was elevated back into Pharaoh's house, and the baker was executed. But the point here was that Joseph became known as an interpreter of dreams. And Joseph tells the um he tells the butler, he says, Hey, listen, when you get out of prison, remember what I did for you to try to help me get out. And the butler forgot, didn't even think about Joseph for two, full years until Pharaoh had a dream. So Pharaoh has this dream that's very troubling. And in his dream, he sees, I won't go into all of it, basically sees two, I'm sorry, seven fat cows. And then he sees seven really gaunt cows. And the gaunt cows eat the fat cows. And he has this dream a couple of times. And he's very disturbed. And he doesn't know what to do about it. And he's talking to the butler about it. And the butler says, oh, I know somebody that can interpret that dream. And so they go and they get Joseph. They shave him. They dress him. They clothe him. There's a great message in all that. I won't get into it. And then they bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph says to the Pharaoh, here's what the dreams mean. You're going to have seven very prosperous years, represented by the seven fat cows. But they're going to be followed by seven Years of famine so horrible that everything that came in the previous seven years will be completely swallowed up. And so Pharaoh said, what should I do? And Joseph said, you should find a wise man who manages the harvest and preserves as much as the harvest as he can so that you'll preserve life during those seven years. And Pharaoh says, excellent idea, you're that man. So Joseph gets promoted again. After he gets promoted, they go through the seven fat years. And then in the second year of famine, guess who shows up in Egypt looking for food? His brothers. Ten of his brothers, I think. Nine or ten of his brothers show up. Now, the brothers had no idea who Joseph was, and here's why. Um, Egyptian leaders would shave their heads. Uh, He was speaking in Egyptian, which his brothers did not understand. But in the story, Joseph recognized his brothers before his brothers recognized him. And so what Joseph does is Joseph sort of makes them jump through hoops a little bit, but eventually God breaks Joseph's heart And he absolutely loves his brothers who had done these terrible things to him. And he misses his father. And so here's what he does through this complicated process. He sends back ten donkeys loaded down with the abundance of Egypt. And he sends back wagons. Say wagons. Wagons. Say wagons again. I knew a smart aleck was going to say wagons again, but I know pretty good. Wagons to bring Jacob and their entire family back to Egypt to preserve their lives. Well, let me read what happens. This is in Genesis 45, verse 24. So Joseph sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. He is governor over all the land of Egypt. Now, Jacob believed for 22 years his favorite son was dead. And so he was depressed for 22 years. Now, here's something that's always struck me. Depression wasn't connected to what happened. Jacob didn't get depressed over what happened, he got
1: depressed from what he thought.
0: Because Joseph was alive. Oh, man, that's so rich. I could just stop right there and you could be really happy. That's life-changing. That is so life-changing. You are the sum total of your belief structure, not your experiences. I'm just, I'm just going to have a drink of water. That is so so significant. That is so important. Mm. Okay. They told him, Joseph is still alive and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. How shocking would that be? Your son goes from dead to being in charge of the biggest nation in the universe. How shocking would that be? Well, the Bible says Jacob's heart stood still. Actually, it says His heart stopped. He could have had a heart attack. I don't know if he had a heart attack, but it says one place his heart stopped. Why did it stop? What's the rest of that verse? Because, here we go again, he did not believe them. You can have physical problems
1: because of your unbelief. Oh, that is that is so good.
0: Man, I am... I, I wish I had read this earlier. He had heart trouble. He had a physical manifestation in his body because of an inaccurate belief system. That is, thank you, Lord. What, oh, my. But when they told him all the words with Joseph had said to them, and when he saw What? the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, I thought we were talking about Jacob. Wait a minute. In verse 26, they're talking about Jacob. But in verse... No, verse 27, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Verse 28, then Israel said... Was that two different people? No, it was the same person. What happened? When he saw
1: what his son had for him, when he saw the provision of Egypt, when he saw the wagons that would transport him to a place that would provide for him for the rest of his life, for all of his days, he went from being Jacob to Israel. His entire life changed in a moment of time. Because
0: of what he believed. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is wonderful, Lord. It is enough. Do you know what that really means? That phrase, it is enough, means this is more than I ever imagined. If you have not seen that the good news, the gospel, and the goodness of God is too good to be true, that God has provided more than we could ever imagine, then you have not yet seen how great he is, how great his provision is, and how much he really cares about you personally. Because the reality of the gospel, when fully received, when fully understood, from fully believed,
1: will seem to you, Too good to be true. God will deliver you from what you deserve. You have done something terrible. You know you deserve
0: punishment. And God says, well, I'll deliver you. Oh, man. The first place in the Bible the word revive shows up is when Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob saw those wagons and he went from Jacob to Israel over the provision. And I believe that's one of the points the Lord wanted to make. These wagons, what they represent, what the blessing of God is that they represent, can absolutely bring a personal, a public, a corporate, a national revival. That's the purpose for this book. All 187... Pages. Now, Jacob became Israel. That's tremendous. Jacob became Israel. Jacob was believing this, and his life was awful. And then he saw the truth, and he started believing this, and everything turned around. One of the things the Lord showed me out of the life of uh, Jeremiah is that circumstantial or geographical deliverance is often and necessarily preceded by an emotional change of your mind. You have got to get delivered inwardly oftentimes to get out of circumstantial problems. It's so significant. It's so important, the things you believe. Now, one of the things I recognized through this was that Joseph, his brothers, and his fathers all experienced aspects of these five wagons of blessing. For instance, the wagon of deliverance from what you deserve. Joseph's brothers deserved really imprisonment for what they'd done. They were guilty of attempted murder. They were uh, guilty of kidnapping, slave trade. I mean, my goodness, if they were in our nation, they got caught for all that. They'd never get out of jail. They wanted to kill this man. But guess what happened? Because of what God did in Joseph's heart, he provided for him. He delivered them from the circumstances and the consequences of their actions. That is so wonderful, Lord. Do that. Bring, bring the power of that gospel, Lord. Bring the power, Lord, of that gospel where you absolutely, sovereignly, suddenly, powerfully break people free from things they have been convinced they could never, ever get free from.
1: Bring that gospel power, Holy Spirit of God. Release that wagon in our nation.
0: Man. Wagon number two was a wagon of deliverance from criticism and critical and the critical spirit. And that's really you see in Joseph himself demonstrates that. First of all, you need to understand how much Joseph suffered, and um, Joseph is one of the clearest Old Testament pictures of Jesus Christ. Some commentators say there are 80, a minimum of 80 different parallels between Joseph and Jesus, and I could go through a whole list of them I want this morning, but both of them were sold for money, both of them were carried to Egypt, You know, it just just goes on and on and on. You should really study that. But Joseph is the clearest picture of Jesus uh, that we have from the Old Testament. Um, In Genesis 37 and uh, 4, after his brothers met Joseph and they began to feel the guilt of what they had done, here's what they said. We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. So there you see the 17-year-old Joseph being terribly mistreated by his brothers, almost murdered, thrown into a terrible situation, no possible way out, no hope for anything but a miserable life. And he pleads with them, and they wouldn't hear him. That was part of what Joseph went through. That was the initial, that was the introduction to the next many years of his life, was that terrible, terrible mistreatment. And Joseph was, I believe, often criticized. We're talking about being delivered from criticism, how you've been treated, what people have said to you, and the critical spirit, what you become if you let mistreatment affect you negatively. It says in Genesis 37:4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. So that was Joseph's life among his brothers. Uh, accusation and criticism. Verse 11, the Bible tells us his brothers envied him. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus was actually crucified and murdered because of envy. So... But God delivered Joseph from their behavior. Actually, we can see what God did in his life through the naming of his two sons. Joseph's first son was named Manasseh. Manasseh means causing to forget. And Joseph said, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. His second son was named Ephraim, which means double fruitfulness. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so we see that between Joseph and the relationship with God, he was completely delivered. I don't mean necessarily instantaneously, but he was completely delivered from what they had said to him, what they had done to him to the degree that when he could, instead of executing them, he preserves their lives because he got delivered from criticism and the critical spirit. And then we see the wagon of unlimited provision. That's very clearly shown. All the abundance of Egypt was available to Joseph, Jacob, and their family. They were given the best, most fruitful part of the land, which was called Goshen. And their brother was in charge of the storehouse. And the wagon of hope. God restored Jacob's hope. We talked about that earlier. Jacob actually said after his, other, after his other sons came, actually Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort Jacob, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. But what Joseph did for his father and his brothers absolutely restored Jacob's hope to the degree that he became another man. His entire life changed. And the last one, a new vision for the United States, One of the ways I apply that to this story is that because of the goodness of Joseph, quite frankly, he preserved the lineage of the Messiah. And that family of 12 brothers in Egypt became a tribe of 2 million people. And when God delivered them, After 400 years, because of a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, the Bible says, they became the nation of Israel, which is such a significant um, understanding or idea. Actually, I was reading out of uh, Jeremiah. Do you know Jeremiah prophesied 600 years before the birth of Jesus that Israel was going to be displaced from their land? And they were going to be returned to never again be displaced. And it took 2,000 years for that prophecy to be fulfilled. And that's the significance, I think, of Israel at its very least. God has some kind of a special plan for that nation. Now, one of the things we need to recognize is many of us have been like Jacob We've lived life like our Joseph is dead. Well, Robin, what do you mean? Well, Joseph is a picture of Jesus. And see, by type, everything Joseph did for his family, all the provision mentioned in those five wagons, Jesus has unlimited provision in all of those categories, for you. I was thinking, too, about Joseph's name. Joseph's name means God will add, God will increase, or God will do it again. Let me ask you this. How many of you need something that I have identified this morning out of these five wagons. Well, if that's you, I want you to come up front. We're going to have a little bit of an altar call here. We're going to come lay hold of something because I believe lives can change today. Isaiah 61, verse 1, verse 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And then it goes on. To console those who mourn in Zion. I want you to repeat this after me. To give them beauty for ashes. To give them the oil of joy for mourning. to give them the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness the spirit of heaviness how many of you can uh, uh how many of you can identify Let's say one of those specific wagons you need. Oh, let me ask this who can't? You're up here, you must be able to. Okay, here's what I want you to do all together at the count of three, and I want you to do this loudly, loudly, loudly. Because well, loud works better than quiet many times. I'm serious. Actually, I read Derek Prince said, "One of do you know Derek Prince has been dead for how many years? He's been in heaven for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Do you know his ministry still goes all around the world? He, It's great. It's ridiculous. He's been dead. He's not even here. You know why? I'll tell you why. Every day, every problem he faced, he faced with the word of God. He proclaimed the antidote to whatever his problem was, and then he praised God loudly. And so I was with Donna the other day, and I said, Hey, we're, we're doing this communion, we're doing this every day we can, but we're not praising God loudly. So I said, Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna praise God really loudly. Do you know how embarrassing that is, even with her and I? Just but I just you may need to turn me down, Christopher, I'm getting really, really loud. I just, I said, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus, so much
1: for what you've done for us, represented here by the blood and the body of of your son. Thank you, Lord. I receive... Um, the washing, the regeneration. I receive the 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 healing that comes through the broken bread and the broken body of Jesus. I, I proclaim over me, over my wife, over my entire family that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. But there has been the shedding of blood. There is a remission of sin. And your promise to me is me and my whole house shall be saved. And I proclaim over my family, we will serve the Lord. <clears throat> For surely the Lord is good unto
0: all them that call upon Him. So I did something a little bit like that. Now here's what I want you to do. At the count of three, Loudly. Hey, if some of you are sitting down and want to get in on this, come on, it's not too late. Or do it in your seat. D- listen, nobody knows some of you strangers that are here. It'll be okay. We're not going to tell your mother. We're not going to report to your boss. At the count of three, call out loudly. Because remember, the wagon was accessed by the tongue and the spoken wheels. Call out loudly the wagon you are claiming. And you need to say, I claim thee, and then kabam. Everybody ready? Everybody understand the rules? We may do this more than once. One, two, three. (laughs) Ha, (laughs) ha, 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 ha.
1: Come on. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a little something. Woo. If once is good, twice is better. One, two, three. I claim Woo. Come on. Oh, come on! Thank you. Hey, anybody get something? I usually thank people when they give me something. You get anything? Thank you. Come on, thank him.
0: Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> I, I had listen. Little small rebuke. That was a very weak Thanksgiving, right there. Did you really get delivered? Did God impart to you by the Spirit something that will play out over the days and weeks and months? Did you really get delivered? Did you get an abundance? Oh, we can do better. Yes, we can do much better. We got to have like a real ugly, nasty, loud, embarrassing praise and Thanksgiving right in here now. One,
1: two, three. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you,
0: Jesus. Mm. Mm. Now, I know that can make you nervous doing things like this. But maybe we're in the mess we are because we don't do things like this. You ever thought about that? That's the way I think about things. I always defend myself and make sure I'm right about everything. So, thank you. G- hey, let me ask: Was there more than one wagon you needed? You wanna, you wanna, you wanna claim another one? Everybody up? Okay. Are the wagons listed up there, Christopher? Christopher's really good at this stuff. Thank you, Christopher. You know, um, the Old Testament was the only Bible the apostles read. you realize that? And the old, you know, the Old Testament has like six or seven different words for praise, and they're all basically loud and demonstrative and embarrassing. So we have, you know, this is scriptural. It may not be, this is good. This is really good. Stuff's going to happen. I want testimonies. Stuff's breaking. I proclaim, I proclaim over your lives. I take authority over everything that needs to be broken off of everyone here. I do. I do it in Jesus' name. Listen, stinking thinking has to go. Stinking thinking has to go. Negativity has to go. Criticism has to go. Poverty mentality has to go. I'm just saying, God's not poor. He wants us to have enough and a little bit to give away. It has to go. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have to think that way. Help me, Lord. Help us. Help us. Help us. us. Change our nation. Change our nation. Lord, I know you want to change us, change our nation. Change us, change our nation.
1: One, two, three. I claim.
0: Amen. Okay. I think next week I'm going to talk about, um, we're going to analyze hopelessness and hopefulness. And I think it's really going to help. I really do. I, uh, my wife is my editor. She's my primary editor. My wife, I know Jesus really well. My wife knows her twice as well. And she says this is a great book. And I'm only saying that because God wants you to read this. I'll give it away to you free. If I'm not trying to, make, well, I do like with my, I would like to make my, but I will give you this book if you can't afford it. Not this one, but in a couple of weeks. I'll give it to you. Because if you read this, and believe what is in here, your life's going it will change it will change i 'm serious it will change it 's changed some today. You may think this is foolish, but i 'm going to tell you the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The Bible says in first corinthians do you do you not see your calling brethren, not many wise?" Not many, not many noble, not many mighty. But God has chosen the weak things of the world and the despised things to bring to naught those things that magnify. Oh, why? So that no flesh would glory in His presence. How did you get delivered? God delivered me. How'd it happen? I went in front of this church in a crazy warehouse and shouted a while. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you recommend it? Well, it helped me. You may not want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. I'm not through yet. I want to do something else. I just don't know what it is. Hold hands. I'm going to release joy. I'm going to release. Let's ask God for the joy of the Lord to just invade us. You don't have to do anything. How many of you want to be happy? Wave at me back there if you want to be happy. Come on. You don't. Adam in the back. Father, I ask that you would release a mighty outpouring of your joy. Lord, you would give us joy unspeakable and full of glory. Lord, that you would transform us by the happiness that is in your heart over us. Oh, it says in, um, it is somewhere written, the Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. He will, re- he will save. He will renew. He will dance over you with singing. Lord, dim- oh God, we need your help. God, show yourself strong in our nation. Lord, I'm not talking about picking political positions, Lord, open people's hearts up to who you are. Open people's hearts up to no longer be critical, no longer go after everyone they think is wrong about whatever. But, Lord, release us from this horrible, negative scourge that has tried to clamp its vice-like grip down on our nation to where you can no longer have civil discussions about things. Lord, deliver our nation from this horrible, critical spirit. Lord, break that thing. Break that thing. Lord, from the White House to the outhouse, break that thing. Break that thing, Lord.
1: Bring that grace Bring that mercy, bring that kindness,
0: manifest your goodness, Lord, in our nation, in Jesus' name. And bring the joy, Lord, that overwhelming, overcoming joy, which is our strength, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.